Welcome to the latest on the law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Kurt Siegel. I'm an attorney at Robinson and Cole, and um, I am a co-chair of the uh, public policy subcommittee for the uh, BBA's uh, real estate uh, section uh, steering committee. So today uh, we are pleased to be joined by Eric Schupin, who is the chief of policy for the Executive Office of Housing and Livable Communities. Uh, Eric's going to speak to us today about the Affordable Homes Act, which is a $4.1 billion housing bond bill. Um, this bill, as you'll hear, it's a it's a comprehensive um, package, uh, a, fu a funding package, as well as a series of policy initiatives that um, I'll say when it's passed, it'll be the largest uh, housing investment uh, in Massachusetts history. Um, so it's very exciting. Um, the the bill was filed late last year. Um, at this point, it has already had a, a public hearing. Um, so it's it's being considered before the the housing the joint committee on housing. Um, we can we can certainly get into some of those uh, details later. Um, but uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Eric and um, and uh, oh, and I should say uh, Eric's going to give a presentation, and then at the end we'll have um, some time for for questions. So as Noel said, just uh, drop your questions in the Q and A function. We can um, we can possibly take some on the fly. Otherwise, we'll address them at the end as best we can. So with that, um, Eric, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Kurt, and uh, um, thank you for inviting me and for the opportunity to come talk about the Affordable Homes Act. Um, as Kurt said, I'm I'm Eric Schupin, the Chief of Policy at Housing and Livable Communities. EOHLC, which a new acronym that just rolls off the tongue. Um, but I will, Kurt went off camera, but um, I'm going to say I first met Kurt eh, 10 years ago um, when he was a staffer for, for the Housing Committee, Joint Committee of Housing, uh, under uh, Chairman Representative Kevin Honan. Um, and uh, so it's I'm just so glad that our worlds continue to collide from your time at um, the Joint Committee to now with the BBA. Um, what would you you had to pass? You had to have passed a bond bill in your time, didn't you? What? We we did, uh, and actually, I wasn't going to bring this up because at the time that we, because it, I, I guess it dates me a bit. At the time, uh, the bond bill we passed was at that time the state's largest affordable housing bond bill, and that was one point four billion dollars. We've now since switched the numbers, and it's. 4.1 billion. So, um, so very impressive what you've been working yeah. on. Thank you. And, and, um, again, I just appreciate being able to come talk about it. I am a former, uh, member of the, uh, the real estate section at the BBA and was on the uh, steering committee for maybe six years. Um, and, and did the, uh, public policy co-chair and affordable housing co-chair, different um, iterations. So I appreciate these events and uh, and the work that the BBA does to get the word out to our community about um, these uh, these issues. So so thanks again. Um, so I uh, Kurt mentioned yeah the 1.2 billion bond bond bill in 2013. 
Five years later, um, I worked a lot on the next bond bill uh, through my position at uh, CHAPA, Citizens Housing and Planning Association, where I was the director of public policy there. And we passed what was then the largest housing bond bill in the state's history, a $1.8 billion uh, capital authorization for uh, our affordable housing programs. Um, Kurt, you are no longer on the on the committee staff at that time, but it was, I believe, it, and is... <laughs> <laughs> Who's your co-chair? I don't even want to. Uh, uh, on the on uh, on the public uh, on on this one, yeah. Oh, um, oh, Matt Conley. Oh, Matt Conley. Okay, because I think um, so. The former co-chair, and I don't know whether she's still on, but Colette. Colette. Um, I, I just didn't, I didn't know whether she was still. Um, she Colette, just cycled up. Yeah. Yeah. So Colette used to do this as well. Um, Colette was the staffer at the housing committee at the time. So um, we're all one big, uh, one big happy family um, working on these issues and, and fighting every day for affordable housing. But um, so I'm, I'm, I'll jump in now to the actual bill, but wanted to tee that up because it sets good context of, all right, it was $1.8 billion five years ago, biggest at the time. We're at one four point one two. Kurt, you undersold me on that one. $4.12 billion um, bond bill that the that Governor Healy has proposed uh, this go around. Um, and that just demonstrates one, the commitment that this administration has to affordable housing, um, but two, also the, the need um, and the severity of um, the challenges we face when it comes to finding and building affordable housing. Um, for the first time also, this is a major housing policy bill. So it, the previous iterations um, in 2013, 2018, were largely just the capital authorizations, where that is in and of itself an outstanding bill. Um, but this time, the governor took the opportunity to also put in a lot of policy um, along with the capital authorizations, 28 different policy proposals um, and tax credits as well. So um, with that, I will jump into my presentation of the bill and I'll try not to spend too much time talking because I do want to get to questions. Um, let's see if I can get this right. Um, slideshow. I'm current slide. Kurt, uh, if, can you just give me a, do you see the slide Affordable Homes Act? Yeah, we do. We also see the, the, um, the presentation mode. We see the next slide in your, your notes section too. So yeah, I think mm. you might want to. Let's see. Um, I never, this is always, this always kills me. All right, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try again. Oh, how about, do you, do you see that? Yep. Um, and again, we can see off to the side, yeah. um, the other slide. So I'm, I don't know how to switch off of my, uh, um, yeah, I know there's a way to do it. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, go from here and you yeah, can see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This is, this is bigger. This works. 
Perfect. There you go. Um, yeah, apologies. There you go. I, the presentation mode always gets me and I don't really know how to navigate it after all these years. Um, so apologies to the committee, but uh, we'll make do. Um, so again, the, the, the bill that the governor filed, um, the context within which we put this together. And so we've been an executive agency since June 1st, and that's when I joined um, the, the executive office um, with Secretary Ed Augustus, uh, the former city manager of Worcester. I came from 10 years at CHAPA, working as the director of public policy. And our charge when we got here, and still is to this day, um, more faster. We need more housing uh, built, created faster uh, that are affordable across all income levels. Um, and that's something that the governor made uh, certainly a, a priority in her campaign and has followed that through to her administration. And again, this bill demonstrates that. So when we came in, we knew we had to file a, a housing bond bill. Um, and the context with which we put this together and the, we put it together within the first four months that we were here, um, we, you know, we're looking at the challenges that we faced, including a severe shortage of housing where supplies failed to keep up with demand, estimated needs of over 200,000 new homes over the next 10 years, um, a, a problem that particularly impacts low-income households in the state. Um, we have a public housing portfolio that is the state's, which is wonderful, but it is just severely uh, in need of desperate repair. Um, homeownership is becoming increasing out of reach, particularly for brown and black uh, households. And we have ambitious climate goals where we know the residential housing sector needs to be part of the solution because we're one of the largest drivers of greenhouse gas emissions um, in, in the state. So the where we went to then was what can we do to meet the moment? Um, and so we put together, uh, you know, this historic investment um, of $4.12 billion in capital authorization for our uh, existing, but also new, we have some new proposals for capital programs that uh, finance uh, both producing and preserving affordable housing. Um, and uh, also included those bold policy initiatives. So 28 different policy proposals that go from uh, technical fixes that we think can help uh, public housing to really bold land use uh, reforms like ADUs by right, providing new tools for communities to raise money for affordable housing through local option transfer fees, reworking how we do public land, surplus public land disposition, um, and also tenant protections. Altogether, we really think that this bill will meet the moment by funding or enabling 40,000 homes that wouldn't otherwise be built by the housing market, including 20,000 new homes for low-income households and 12,000 new homes for middle-income households. Again, the governor wanted to make sure we're building housing opportunities across all income levels. And then also working to preserve, rehab, improve, and support an additional 27,000 homes um, through investments in uh, climate resiliency uh, measures, uh, decarbonization of our public housing, um, and making sure that every dollar that we spend is spent um, building the most green and efficient housing that we can. So what's in this bill? Um, it's a combination of capital authorizations, tax credits, and policy initiatives. Under policy initiatives, um, there were also executive orders that were filed because we want to make clear that while this is a big bill and we are really proud of it, by no means did we, you know, do we cover everything that we possibly could have. 
Um, there's so much more we know we need to do. And so as part of the filing of this bill on October 18th, the governor also um, signed three executive orders. Um, one that would direct us, and we're in the process of putting this together, a state housing plan for the first time in the state's history. Um, so there's a housing advisory uh, commission, that housing advisory council that will put together a housing plan to talk about how much housing do we actually need? Who does it need to be affordable for? Where does it need to go? What's being built right now? Um, those are the kinds of questions we want to ask so that we can objectively measure what we're building um, to know whether or not we're going in the right direction. Um, another executive order was uh, putting together a unlocking housing production commission. Um, this is really bringing together experts in the field to say, okay, what are the barriers to building housing? What are the zoning and land use barriers? What are the sewer and septic reforms that might be needed? What coordination do we need to do at the state level between EOHLC, the uh, Executive Office of Energy and uh, of, uh, and, and uh, environmental affairs uh, with uh, economic development, what do we need to do to coordinate so that we're all working in the same direction so that if, you know, regulations come out over here, it doesn't negatively impact housing over here. So those are the kinds of things that we're thinking about. Um, so getting into the big, the, you know, the bulk of this bill, which is the capital authorizations, um, it's the $4.12 billion. And so this shows the comparison between the 2018 uh, bond bill of uh, $1.8 billion to the proposal that we have out now, which is the column in red, $4.12 billion, um, including uh, nearly a billion dollars for housing works, which is uh, a combination of new and existing programs. The governor created uh, a new authorization for housing works. Um, some of you may be familiar with the Mass Works Infrastructure Development Program. Well, the governor said, we, we need a housing works infrastructure development program. And so this proposes creating that authorization to support the infrastructure that's needed around housing to be able to support it at the local level. Um, think sewer and, and uh, other utilities. Um, looking to housing acquisition, rehab and development. These are bread and butter programs that uh, finance the production and preservation of um, private affordable housing. So the dollars that go out to developers who are, are building, um, think of the uh, Beacon Communities win, um, as well as nonprofit developers like CDCs um, and uh, organizations like POA or the community builders. Um, these programs include the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Um, so $1.1 billion here. Uh, $385 million to support vulnerable populations. These are programs largely run through our, uh, in coordination with our quasi partner CDAC that serves persons with disabilities, um, programs like the Facilities Consolidation Fund and the Community-Based Housing Program. And then this is a, a real signature of, of this bill and of a priority of this administration. $1.6 billion proposed for uh, our public housing, our state public housing portfolio. Um, we have nearly 44,000 units. Estimates are anywhere from $4 billion and up for the backlog of capital repairs. And so this puts us on the track. While we, we can't do the full investment in this bill alone, um, this puts us on a track to closing that deferred maintenance gap through a $1.6 billion investment. Um, in 2018, there was $650 million that. So this is nearly triple the amount of money um, for pub our public housing. And then the next line is non-HLC, and I'll talk about this. One of these is uh, specifically for uh, 
a surplus land. We want the Commonwealth's land to go back, the, the surplus land to go back into good use. And we think that housing is a really good use. So we want to help enable this. One of the things that as we've been looking at the surplus land that the state has that we've seen, um, a lot of times it's, well, almost every time, it is not a pristine field, open space that is just ready to go. We know we're going to need um, cleanup mitigation, knock down an old hospital, an old state hospital. Um, so this would be a capital authorization just for that kind of work so that we can get this land ready for you. Um, and you, I mean, like developers and hopefully some of you, you know, on this are attorneys that may work with developers, but that's that's what we want. Um, so I went through some of these highlights. Um, other things that I'll, I'll highlight from this is $270 million for sustainable and green housing initiatives. Um, this includes climate resilient, affordable housing, but also new innovative ideas like office conversions. We know that um, these are, are uh, things that we have office buildings that are still having a tough time um, and some are maybe ripe for conversions. Now, some will be very expensive to do, but we wanna at least provide the resources uh, to support communities like Boston and Worcester who are already doing this work. Um, looking to uh, create a social housing demonstration program. So social housing is not purely public housing. It's not private affordable housing, something in between, um, but uh, a, a new model that we wanna try, try out. $100 million for Commonwealth Builder, Something that this administration really wanted to prioritize and that we're proud to support in a big way are creating home ownership opportunities. Um, so Commonwealth Builder, uh, run through mass housing, supports the creation of the building of home ownership opportunities in gateway cities. And so we're recapitalizing that. Um, $100 million for middle income housing. This is something that, again, we want to look to our workforce and how can we become an affordable but also competitive Commonwealth? Um, we need housing for workers here, otherwise they will move to other states. And so we're focusing on that middle income band as well. And then a $15 million seed money to support a new momentum fund that we're creating along with Mass Housing that in this high interest rate, high cost construction environment, we'll be able to take some of those projects that we know are stalled right now because high cost of capital or other things, and be able to, to bridge that gap to get these projects on the go as kind of an accelerator. Um, and then ultimately to direct all of our investments to prioritize and incorporate our climate and decarbonization goals. Um, these are all, and I, I will make these slides available through uh, Kurt and the BBA to all of you. This breaks down every single one of the capital programs that make up that $4.12 billion. The one that I'll call your attention to on this slide that I'm, I'm really excited about, and I know my colleague, Kate Racer, our, our now undersecretary um, of um, housing development at EOHLC, um, is $800 million for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. That's a doubling. Um, this trust fund is the, you know, the bread and butter of, of building uh, affordable housing, goes into so many deals and is our most flexible resource. And so we wanted to build up those resources that we know all our partners are, are asking for that um, can, uh, can take advantage of this. I will, there are two tax credits included in the bond bill. Um, one is the Community Investment Tax Credit Program, the CITC. This supports our, our CDCs um, and it's an existing tax credit program, but we propose that's been hugely successful in supporting the work of CDCs, which then build a lot of our affordable housing. 
Um, and this would make that tax credit permanent, remove the sunset, as well as expand it from 12 to $15 million a year. Um, so we're really excited to see this tax credit grow. And then creating a new homeownership production tax credit. So kind of uh, barring the idea from the low-income housing tax credit that builds um, rental units, this would be for creating homeownership opportunities um, that would be run through mass housing. We have the 28 different policy recommendations, and I'm absolutely not going to run through each one because I think that would take up uh, the rest of the time that we have. But in putting this together, um, we were looking at uh, some key areas that we know we wanted to address through policy. Um, and you see that here, reducing barriers to production and preservation. Um, so working on things like creating that statewide housing plan, allowing, and this is one that I am, you know, probably one of the I'm most, if I, if I had to say what I'm most excited about, um, this is one of them, accessory dwelling units, ADUs by rights statewide, um, allowing that in every city and town um, in Massachusetts. Um, we've seen other states do it and do it uh, successfully. And so we know that this is something that will provide the opportunity to build tens of thousands of homes over the next 10 years with gentle density, um, just adding accessory dwelling units to existing single family homes. Um, allowing inclusionary zoning to be passed by a simple majority. Um, surplus public land disposition reforms. The process right now can be years long to dispose of state owned land. Um, and this would really speed up that process. We think take up to at least a year um, off of the process and kind of flip the script. Um, right now, a an agency would ha has to identify a piece that they think is surplus and bring it to um, you know the governor and and start that process. We want to say no. The governor will be able to say to an agency, "I think that piece is surplus. Let's start the process." And thus, you can tell me why it's not surplus. Um, and uh, also, would get rid of the requirement to pass a, a special piece of legislation to dispose of the home rule petition to dispose of that state owned land through the legislature, which can be a two year plus process. Um, public housing reforms. These are technical fixes um, that do things like allow public housing authorities to use their capital dollars more effectively and efficiently. We're providing a whole lot more, um, hopefully, in capital dollars to them. And so this will just help those dollars go even further, like allowing them to borrow against their capital funds to leverage the money to do bigger projects sooner. Um, we have commissions for further study. Again, we talked about, I said, we couldn't possibly put all these, put everything into this bill. Um, and so we have uh, studies on making Massachusetts an even more age-friendly state for senior housing and uh, commission on extremely low-income housing, how to build more ELI housing for uh, our lowest income families. Next category, tenant protections and fair housing. Um, so for the first time ever, we would, through statute, create an office of fair housing within EOHLC to coordinate fair housing activities and work with communities to help meet their fair housing obligations. As part of the office, we would also create a trust fund that would be able to provide resources to organizations on the ground doing this work, to municipalities to um, uh, better understand what uh, fair housing is of protecting against uh, housing discrimination, but also affirmatively furthering fair housing, um, something that uh, we see is uh, a really important piece, particularly when it comes to zoning and land use. Um, 
And when we're doing things like the MBTA Communities Act and working with communities, all of that is tied into fair housing. Um, so we're excited to, to make that a key part of what we do here at EOHLC. We have eviction record ceiling. We know that an eviction record can stay on someone's um, they can stay with someone for the rest of their lives and make it harder, sometimes impossible, to find uh, housing in the future. And so this would provide a process for um, someone who's been involved with an eviction to steal their record after a certain amount of time and under certain circumstances. And so you can see those here. Um, and creating a supportive housing pool fund. This would be money to build supportive housing, which is affordable housing with support services that some of our uh, most vulnerable households need to be able to stay stably housed. Um, think of uh, housing for families and individuals experiencing long-term and chronic homelessness. Oftentimes, they do need the support services because they're, um, they need help getting back on their feet. There may be an addiction issue or substance uh, use disorder. Um, so what are the services that they need to stay successfully housed? And so this would create a, a fund to support the services. To create supportive housing, you need the dollars for the capital dollars to finance it. The ongoing operating through things like rental vouchers um, to get the again the uh, operating side of things, but you also need dollars to support the supportive services. But it can be really hard to coordinate that. That's what this uh, flex pool, this funding pool, I'm sorry, would do um, is provide a, a dedicated source for those services, um, and then supporting local initiatives. So supporting communities and their work to build more housing. And certainly first on this list and probably the uh, most prominent feature, if not the most controversial item in this bill is a local option real estate transfer fee. Um, the, the governor is serious about providing communities the tools they need um, to, to tackle the challenges like building more affordable housing. And so this would allow municipalities um, to adopt a a transfer fee on certain high-end real estate transactions over a million dollars um, to raise money at the local level to go right back into the community for the purpose of creating affordable housing. So these dollars would be taken um, from high-end real estate transactions, be put right back into that community's uh, municipal affordable housing trust fund for the purpose of building affordable housing. Um, and so um, Places like the Cape um, and Boston have said, you know, we need this if we are to uh, achieve our housing goals. And so we want to help communities do that by allowing them to pass this transfer fee. Seasonal communities designation, this would uh, create a designation for communities like uh, the Cape or an uh, islands or the Berkshires, where we know that they have uh, unique housing market challenges due to their tourist space and seasonal economy. Um, and so this would create a designation like Gateway Cities and then allow us to develop um, different programs that serve those particular communities. I talked about the executive orders, so I won't go through the, I didn't mention the last one, identifying surplus public land for housing. Not only are there um, the proposed legislative reforms to the surplus land disposition process, but the governor also filed an executive order to uh, do, an, I, I know, a lot of governors have done an inventory of state-owned land, but um, really doing it through the, the lens of which pieces, which parcels do we think are suitable for housing? And when we identify those, we want to put them out there. Um, so that's what this uh, group is charged with. This uh, executive order charges everyone in the administration, every agency to do. Um, and so we are we are working on that. And so the hope is that we can make that 
list available. Um, again, with the lens through what can which which parcels can be used for housing. Um, so that is a very high level overview of the bill. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Um, as Kurt said, I'll just um, dive into just kind of where we are right now with the bill. Kurt mentioned that there was a uh, the governor filed this on October 18th, um, and the housing committee had it, the initial hearing on the bill on January 18th. Um, there were there was over 11 hours of testimony um, on this bill, and um, Kurt, I'm sure you really miss your days as a staffer sitting through those kinds of hearings. But um, I was I was really proud of that. Um, that you know, starting with the governor, lieutenant governor, and uh, secretary Gustus uh, testifying, 11 hours uh, of testimony, almost all in support of this legislation of doing something. Um, you know, we may not all agree on every policy in this, but no one disagreed that we need to do something bold right now um, about our housing challenges, about our housing crisis. Um, otherwise, we're going to to lose out. We're going to lose out on affordability. People won't be able to afford their homes. On competitive competitiveness, our economy will suffer. We will lose workers. And on equity, um, where this is impacting BIPOC communities um, more than others. And so we need we need to do something. And that's really been the overwhelming message that we hope the legislature will continue to hear. Um, I hope they'll continue to hear from not only us, but also all of you um, to say we need to take this on um, because, you know, we can't afford to to do nothing. The status quo is not working. Um, and this really would would help shift that and change the status quo, along with all the other work that the administration is doing. The governor truly is looking at everything that she does um, as a way to also move forward on on housing. And I'll I'll point to the the tax relief uh, package that was signed earlier um, in the fall, which created or I didn't create, I'm sorry, uh, expanded the state loan income housing tax credit um, to $60 million um, and removed the sunset. So now we have a $60 million annual authorization for the state LIHTC, which is incredible. Um, we have a tripling of the housing development incentive program through that HDIP, which builds uh, uh, market rate housing in gateway cities, a tripling from 10 to $30 million and a one-time cash infusion of $57 million. Um, so there are opportunities out there. The governor's created a community climate bank that's going to be able to capture federal dollars um, from the IRA to do things um, like building uh, more climate resilient housing throughout Massachusetts. Um, so again, we're looking for every opportunity to move forward on housing. And so taken together, we think this comprehensive approach really will um, it, you know, meet the moment and help us get through uh, the, the crisis that we're in. And one more piece I'll mention, I, I apologize, Kurt, um, certainly uh, looking at the MBTA Communities Act and implementing that. Yes, we, depending upon how you look at it, um, I think there was a little bit of a, well, not a little bit, there was a very disappointing vote in Milton um, just on Wednesday. Um, but, uh, you know, rest assured, we are still committed as administration to working with communities to make this a successful law, um, not only for the state in expanding the zoning capacity of Eastern Massachusetts by over 200,000 homes, but also um, building and working with communities to make stronger communities. Because ultimately, 
housing is not a, it, we, we cannot see housing as a threat. Um, it has to be seen as the opportunity that it is to build more diverse, more competitive, more vibrant um, cities and towns. And so we'll continue to do that every day and um, look forward to working with all of you on that. So, all right, I will, I will be quiet now, Kurt, um, and glad to answer any questions that folks have. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. That was uh, really great. A, a really good overview of everything that's in the bill. Um, there's a lot in there, both uh, both in dollars and in policy proposals. Um, and you certainly uh, you covered a lot in a short amount of time. So we thank you for that. Um, I, I will note for the audience um, again, if you do have a question, there's the a Q&A. Uh, button at the bottom of the Zoom screen. Uh, that's the place to drop your your question, um, and then we'll be able to answer that. Um, I I have some questions, um, so I'm happy to start. And I, you know, I have some substantive questions, but I but I I wanted to start by sort of taking a, a big picture step back um, because I'm not sure this is always obvious um, to people when we're talking about a um, we're talking about a bond bill and we're talking about $4.12 billion. So if you wouldn't mind maybe explaining briefly sort of what exactly that means. And I, and I will just say, uh, you know, a, a bond bit, a bond and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but a bond, what a bond bill is, is essentially saying is um, it, well, it's a, it's an authorization um uh, for the state to be able to issue and sell bonds that would then fund the the programs within the bill. Um, so, I mean, we're talking such huge numbers. Um, and I guess one way of asking this is, is the last bond bill was everything that was authorized actually um, there was everything in the bill actually fully authorized to that level. Um, you know, and, and, and just a little bit of like the, the in the weeds of like how it actually works, you know, once this thing gets passed. I mean, I, mean, I assume some programs get fully recapitalized. Um, but anyways, I'll, I'll yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is the $4.12 billion capital authorization. So this isn't this isn't cash on hand. Um, it's just the authorization for the capital budget to be able to have these programs. Um, so the capital budget is put together every year by the governor through the capital investment plan. Um, and it includes the, the long-term capital projects um, that often relate to infrastructure, um, like uh, bridges and roads, uh, schools, and affordable housing, housing. Um, in order to be able to put out money for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, the governor has to receive the authorization from the legislature to do so. Um, and so that's what this capital authorization does. I think probably the simplest way, and it is a gross simplification, oversimplification of things, to think of it as like the credit card borrowing limits that you have. You're not gonna necessarily spend your entire uh, $30,000 credit card limit um, but you have the opportunity to. Um, and so this provides the opportunity for the governor to include that much in her annual capital uh, investment plan for these programs over, over the next five years. So this is a five-year time um, frame for these authorizations. 
Um, the, the with capital authorizations, I think it's it's rare that the full authorization is ever spent. Um, for the last two bond bills, actually, um, the we have spent about two thirds of that authorization. So um, with the last bond bill of one point eight billion dollars, we've put into our capital, our actual capital budget, about $1.2 billion over those five years, so two thirds. Um, so even if you look at that, two thirds of $4.12 billion, um, I'm not gonna do that math in my head because uh, I'm a lawyer and I don't like numbers. Um, but so we envision like, hey, maybe this gives us the opportunity certainly to spend up to $4.12 billion. Will it be the full amount? Probably not, but who knows? Um, but even if we get two thirds of that, like we have with the other bond bills, that's a that's a sizable investment and an increase over the last bond bill. Now, where this gets even more complicated is that um, we're not working with the zero sum game with the capital uh, budget. There is a bond cap. We have a borrowing limit for the Commonwealth. And so um, there's only a certain amount of capital dollars to go around. So if we put more into housing here less goes into somewhere else. Um, now, the borrowing limit does grow each year, um, but um, it's also a matter of prioritization. Um, growing the amount that we can borrow, but also saying, well, right now, we really think that housing is a, is a priority. So we're going to invest more in the capital budget here and then um, adjust accordingly. And so this provides the opportunity for the governor to make those choices because she is the one who has discretion once the authorization is made. The governor has complete discretion of which programs to uh, provide funding to, um, to take advantage of those authorizations, and which ones maybe not to so much. Um, that's unlike the these you know straight operating budget uh, appropriations uh, that the legislature has to do. This is with the capital budgets within the governor's control. So that's something that yes, we will play that over the next five years. Um, see what the economy is like see what the priorities are um, and and adjust the capital budget accordingly. And it's something that we work closely with um, the Secretary of Administration and Finance um, on of setting those priorities and spending limits and um, what we're going to be plugging into the, the capital budget. And, and uh, Administration of Finance has, has been with us every step of the way as we develop this bill. These are big numbers, but um, they're not coming out of nowhere. They're 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 real numbers, um, and so um, we're really excited by the opportunities that we think these authorizations are going to open up. Great, thank you. I, I, that's helpful. I think I, I think it's 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 um there's so much happening in this bill. You know, so many amazing um, initiatives. It's, it's sometimes easy to forget what we're actually talking about here. Um, so that's I think that's helpful. Um, we do have one question. Uh, from the audience, um, it, yep. and the the status and numbers of the executive orders. I think I don't know if that's easier to. So it's, it's executive orders uh, six twenty establishing the oh no I'm sorry six twenty one establishing the housing advisory council um, executive order six twenty two establishing the commission on unlocking housing production and six twenty three. Um, identifying opportunities for the use of surplus and underutilized state land for housing. Um, so I just put a link into each one of those. You can go and read. Um, I'll also just because it's you know fairly recently, um, the governor. So Executive Order six twenty one and six twenty two, the two commissions, um, just 
at the end of January, the governor um, appointed those uh, those commissions and those members from those commissions. And so I'm going to there's a press release um, that I will share that has the the folks that the governor chose to be on these commissions. Um, and it's something that uh, are it's getting underway, both in creating a state housing plan, but also that uh, that state housing plan through the Housing Advisory Council, as well as the Commission on Unlocking Housing Production. We've got some really great folks on these that I think are going to help us move even further forward on um, uh, you know on, on innovative housing ideas and solutions for Massachusetts. Will there be more use of eminent domain powers? Um, I haven't, we haven't, I, I mean, I'll just be honest, I we haven't necessarily talked about um, increased use of eminent domain. We did, one of the policy pieces that I skipped over and I apologize, um, it's uh, a revision to the receivership reform statute um, that will make it easier for housing, like abandoned housing to get through the receivership process, um, through that court process for the purpose of getting it to a uh, uh, a nonprofit developer to rehab and put it to use for uh, deed-restricted affordable housing. So we you think there are ways to improve that process. Now that's not strictly eminent domain, but um, otherwise we, you know, there just hasn't, I'm not aware of, of discussions around the um, use of, you know, more use of eminent domain. Um, I, I had another sort of sort of big picture, more um, procedural type question as well. Um, it, it sort of ties into my earlier question, which has to do with the actual capital authorizations. Um, I think there might have been a time when there was not a lot of policy put into a, a, a bond bill. Um, I, I think the one I worked on, I think we did have some outside sections, but it was still a little bit, um, you know, not the way it used to be. Um, obviously here, there are some, you know, major policy pieces in this bill. Um, from your perspective and from your experience, um, you know, you, at, you were at CHAPA obviously before this, you know, advocating, um, what are some of the pros and cons of having such major substantive policy pieces attached to a bond bill like this? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so, I mean, that's a really important question that we debated a lot um, internally because the pros are obviously it's it's not all about money. Our, our housing crisis is not all about money. Um, it's a lot about money but not all about money. And so there's a lot of policy changes that we can do that can open up a, more housing opportunities um, through things like zoning reforms or new local tools. Uh, so the pro is it can be even more impactful. Um, it can also help, it can also help and it has helped grow the coalition of supporters, the stakeholders behind this. Um, a housing bond bill of just money has a lot of supporters, and it's not something that um, you know there's going to be a lot of opposition to. Um, but putting in some of these policy recommendations and proposals uh, have are for reasons of like um, 
accessory dwelling units. We know that the senior housing community, the AARP, this is something they've been asking for for years. So this brings them in and says, yeah, let's do this. Um, and the AARP is a very influential voice. Um, the business community for the first time, not for the first time, I should say, but it, for the first time on a bond bill in a really meaningful way, business community is with us. The um, chambers, business, the Mass Business Roundtable, um, AIM, they're with us advocating to get this bill done because they know this is about economic competitiveness. Now, this community may not love things and everything in the bill, like transfer fees, but they're at least they're testifying at this 11 hour hearing. Hey, we need to get this done. And that's not the case for a regular housing bond bill. Um, so it really can grow that coalition and, and um, help move that bill forward. The drawback is um, that policy is hard um, and can make the process um, even more difficult. Getting through an easy bill is not easy, and a housing bond bill is not an easy bill on you know the best of days. Um, the legislative process gets more complicated when you put more complicated policies in, and and in addition to those stakeholders who support things, there are also those who are going to come out and say, nope, this is too controversial, don't do it, doing too much to rock the boat, so we're not going to go there, um, please don't do it, um, which can slow things down or threaten the passage of the bill. Um, we were, you know, we we talked about that. Should should we file something that's just capital authorizations? Should we file a policy bill separate? But we didn't want to leave it to chance that one or both might move. We need all of these things to move. Um, and so that's why we put together this bill. And we think it's a it's big, it's bold, but it is absolutely achievable. It's also balanced. Um we're doing things like, yes, the, the transfer fee for local communities. We know that um, the real estate industry might not love that, but we do do things like ADUs by right, which will help build and provide more opportunities for the real estate community to, to do their business. Um, so we we try to balance things in this bill as well. And I think you know the governor did a real good job of doing that in um, just seeing the coalition that is in support behind this. Again, 11 hours of testimony, um, there really were not a lot of detractors. Um, and that's, that is unusual um, with a, a big bill like this. So I'm, I'm, we're really proud of that. Um, I see um, we got one question from the audience about the interaction of the housing works and mass works programs in, in mixed use development and can both be accessed in one project? Sure. So I I actually I don't have an answer for you. So I'm not I'm not sure, but it's something that I can I can ask and and find out. Um I don't know, Kurt or Noel, if there's a way to capture these questions and you know send them to me afterwards just so that I have them and can they can ask around. I yeah. I'm not sure whether housing works and mass works can be used in the same project. Um, but I can at least ask the folks who who likely will know. So glad to um, follow up with you, Teresa. Um, and then I see another question here, and it has to do with um, a butter appeals. And a butter appeals uh, can be and and often are a problem for housing development and affordable housing in particular. Um, yeah. Is there anything in, in the bond bill that might address this? So um, yeah, I was aware that that Reba. Uh, event was going on today. And I think I, my colleague, uh, Roberta, our chief counsel, may have been in on that. Um, 
Oh gosh, yeah, a butter appeals is absolutely um, a big problem. And you know, a few years ago in the economic development bill, there was some reforms passed, um, but unfortunately, it hasn't been as as strong as we maybe hoped it could be. Um, so. I am speaking for me personally. I think we, there is more to be done there. Um, this bill, so we don't have anything on a butter appeals in this bill, um, and that's not because the you know we don't see it or recognize it as a challenge. We just didn't we didn't include it here. However, um, that is what we really want to get at through things like the executive orders, um, the unlocking housing production commission. Um, is charged with taking on uh, things exactly like a butter appeals and coming up with those solutions that um, we can build consensus around and then get done. Um, we are we don't want this commission to just identify these problems like a butter appeals. We know their problems. Come to us with the solutions that the governor can can put into place. And so, um, I mean, we met for the second time, and it was yesterday we had this conversation. The secretary chairs. Um, and one of those items that we discussed were butter appeals. Um, so, so we know it's an issue that um, we need to do something about. Um, we didn't do it in this uh, bill, but uh, the fun part about being now an executive agency, like this, is not our our last go around. We hope like we're gonna we're gonna put out even more stuff, um, and so we're excited to to really have that commission help drive those solutions forward. Great. Um, uh, so I, I did want to ask, so you mentioned, we've talked about ADUs, of course, and how they'd be allowed by right um, statewide. So municipalities would not need to opt in or there's no vote that would need to be taken at the local level. Okay. Nope. Um, so that's not, but and so then another um, element, the inclusionary zoning that that would still be a, a local vote and it would change the threshold from two thirds majority to. OK, yeah. And then maybe we're working our way towards more and more controversial, but then the, the local option um, transfer fee, um, which and I did. I watched a lot of the, the public hearing um, and I echo what you said. Uh, I didn't watch the full 11 hours. Um, and I commend the the staff and the the uh, and the the um, representatives and senators and all the audience members who stuck around that long. That was really incredible. Um, and I, I agree with every with what you said about how universally everyone you know agreed something has to be done. Um, but it, it did come up you know a number of times uh, the local option transfer fee. So it appears that that is one of the more controversial mm -hmm. provisions in the bill. Um, so that still would need to be adopted at the local level. Mm -hmm. um, That's right. No community would have to do anything. Um, it's up to the community to decide. Yes. Right. And, and I think that's important uh, for folks to remember. Um, so there's always going to be another step that needs to happen. It's, it's not by right or, uh, you know, imposed on the entire state. Um, and it's interesting. I think some of the pushback on that, um, certainly some of the pushback has to do with the fact that, um, there's a thinking that it, it could drive up, uh, the home, home prices, um, because sellers will, 
we'll factor that in, we'll factor in whatever the fee is that they're going to have to, to pay into the listing price. Um, and that's certainly a concern. I think something that maybe people don't always realize is that, I, and I believe it, it, it only, the fee would only apply to the portion of the sale price over, is it $1 million? Correct. Right. So, so if you sell your home 1.2 million, it's only on that 200,000. Um, you know, but, but still there are some concerns there. Um, but I know some communities have already been trying to get this or do some communities already have it? Um, because there is some, there is support obviously for this as well. So there are, I believe, about 12 different home rule petitions that have been filed by communities who have passed it at the local level already to say, yes, we're passing this so that we can, or this request for a home rule petition to allow us to create a local option transfer fee. Um, communities like Boston, I think Arlington, um, certainly the, the Cape and Islands, there are communities there. Um none of them have been allowed through and they've been trying for a, a bunch of sessions uh, to do this and they're never allowed, they haven't ever been allowed through. Um, so communities have already said they want to do this. Um, and again, we want to provide them that opportunity. Um, so that's also why we, you know, say, Hey, there is, again, we want to support cities and towns. Um, they want to do this. Let's let them. Um, and so those communities who want to could, and those communities who don't want to, don't have, don't have to. And so um, that's right. And and your point about the uh, um, fee only applying to the amount over the that threshold of a million dollars, that's absolutely true. You know, most people, should we be so lucky, um, would only ever, you know, be impacted by this, you know, once, twice, if you have the good fortune of taking part in multiple uh multi-million dollar housing transactions, God, God bless, good for you. Um, but we think that it's something that can help, you know, be a modest fee that then goes right back into the real estate market. It's not like these dollars are, are disappearing and going to the general fund, much as we might like them to, because we need more dollars in the general fund. Um, they go right back to the community into affordable housing. Um, so helping support those efforts uh, from, uh, so again, that's why we, you know, the administration has come out in support of, of allowing communities yeah. to do this. Well, as a as a member of my town's affordable housing trust fund, um, I, I think those dollars would come, come be administered through the, the local affordable housing trust fund. So, um, so that would be uh, something that, that I'd be happy to see. <laughs> But um, and I guess actually, there's another side to the um, pushback on this that uh, you know I think what we've discussed is the, the the sort of common pushback. But there's also I mean some communities the average home sale price is is well below a million dollars. So some communities I, I I think I've heard are would like to see that million dollar threshold lower because then they would actually be able to benefit from it more. Yeah, um, that, I mean that's a whole other uh, side of it, um, but it's just interesting. It's you know it's one of the more controversial pieces of the bill. It's just interesting the the different um, different different sides of it. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, right now I think those in the best those communities in the best position to take advantage of this is 
um, our communities that have the the higher market. Um, think of think Boston, think um, communities on the Cape, uh, certainly Nantucket and um, the communities on Martha's Vineyard. Um, I, I, we are open. Something that we know that we still have the legislative process to get through. So what we've said is, you know, get, you know, will Franklin County benefit as much? Um, will the communities there benefit as much from a transfer fee than others under the $1 million threshold? No. Um, but hey, let's let's try to get it um, as strong as possible through the legislative process. Um, but we want to get it through. So, um, so it's something that we look forward to engaging with as this as the bill hopefully gets out of housing committee soon, goes to bonding. There's still so many steps left. Goes to house bonding, then the house ways and means, then the house floor, and then Senate bonding, then Senate ways and means, and Senate floor, all by July 31st. Uh, meanwhile, we also have to pass a budget during uh, tough economic times. We have a supplemental budget to fund our emergency shelter program. An economic development bill is, is coming. We have uh, gun control that we know that the legislature wants to take up. Um, so, boy, there's a lot of work to do, and by no means is this guaranteed to pass, but it, it, we can't afford not to have it passed. Um, so it's going to be, you know, we've got a campaign building around this, and that's why we really need um, all the support. We will take any opportunity to come and talk about this bill. So anybody on this call, you want us, you want us to come talk about it? We'll talk about it. Um, invite us out. Invite the secretary. Um, so... Yeah, just appreciate this chance to to speak about it and um, and hopefully get your support for for this legislation. Yeah, thank you, Erica. That's a good a good I think a good note to end on as we as we've uh, come to the end of the hour here. Um, there's still a lot of work. Uh, well, you've already done an incredible amount of work on this. There's still a lot of work to be done, as you mentioned. There is that July 31st uh, deadline to get all of this passed. Um, but I have faith in you and, and, and your colleagues and the legislature. Do you have faith um, in the legislature, though, Kurt? I do. I oh, yes. I do. I certainly do. I, um, I do too. I do too. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us. Um, it, I, we will make this these slides available. I think Eric's contact information is probably there. I think you're relatively easy to find um, at the the state's uh, executive office of housing and livable community communities. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for today. Thank you so much, Eric. We really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. The BBA is Boston's largest legal network built on justice, community, education, and inclusion. Take advantage of our exclusive express membership offer and save 50% off BBA membership through August 31st, 2024. Enjoy the full benefits of BBA membership and take advantage of BBA programs and events discounts on services, access to the full Learn Online library, and much more. This special offer is only available through March 15, 2024. Use code EXPRESS50 at checkout.